Hello, this is Ellie Levy, and welcome to The Bend, the podcast about our choices and what compels us to make them. Films have always been a big part of my life, but there are some films that stand out for a specific reason. They represent something greater. They're so epic in their scope or so effective in their marrying of society that they have the power to affect real social change. One such film project is the Up series. The Up series is an ongoing British series of documentary films that began in 1964 and followed 14 children from different socioeconomic backgrounds in England. Every seven years, director Michael Apted meets up with the kids, who are now 64 years old, and talks about what has happened in their careers, mindsets, families, and so on. The project packs an emotional wallop, and the longer it continues, the more compellingly humanist it becomes. The latest episode, 63 Up, came out in 2019. I started to watch the series in my early teens and I'm now about to turn 35, so these individuals have accompanied me in some way for more than half my life. With all this in mind, you can imagine how happy I was when I got the chance to speak to Tony, the very charismatic London cabbie and former jockey, the cheeky chappy as he calls himself, who is one of the protagonists of the film series. We talk about his life, his priorities, and of course, we talk about the Up series. Hi, uh, this is Ellie. Hi. Uh, thank you again for... Hello, Ellie. Hi. <laughs> Thanks again for agreeing to chat with me. Uh, it's really wonderful. Um, so, you know, as, as a longtime fan of uh, the Up series and everything, I've been watching it since I was a young teen and I'm now 34. Um, yeah, it would be wonderful to talk to you a bit about that and also just uh, your life in general. That's cool. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So where am I finding you? Are you, are you in a cab right now? or? Um... I've just, I'm just walked off the golf course. I'm just having a cup of tea with the boys and my relatives. No problem. Oh, nice. Okay, great. Um, um, yeah, I can you can hear. go ahead. I'm just getting me tea, okay. and I'm going to get me tea and go to the cab. Sounds great. <laughs> okay. Um, where, yeah. Where, where are you calling from? What state? Yes, I'm actually in Berlin, Berlin, Germany. Um, this is where I'm based. Oh, Berlin. Yes. Oh, very nice. Yes. Have you ever been? Hello. No, I've never been to Germany. No. Oh, okay. But, um, but, uh, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I'll say I've never been to Germany. Yeah, perfect. Okay. They, I've never been to Germany, but they say the uh, the beer kellers are nice, and the four lines are even better. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to go there because I'm a John F. I'm a John F. Kennedy fan, and oh, uh, yes. I recite his speeches. And uh, where he done the Yes Nine Berliner speech, you know, I'd like to go to the Brandenburg Gate, and uh, you know, because he's a, he's a hero of mine. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely. You know, and uh, I went out, and I, I remember. I, I remember going to Washington D.C. and reciting his inauguration over his grave. Wow. Word for word. Yeah, I know it sounds silly, but that was, you know, a caught the imagination from, you know, for me and a lot of other people yeah. of a generation. Yeah, I mean, you have to have your heroes, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so yeah. I was thinking I'll just start kind of in the from the beginning, kind of have a chronology in a, in a sense that might be easier as well. And um, so it's kind of like a you know a stroll down memory lane, which I think you're you're used to more than maybe most people <laughs> somehow. So um, well, I'm very I'm very lucky I'm very lucky to have this legacy because I'm in 1963, as you understand, 60s were booming in London. You had Carnaby Street, you had Twiggy with fashion, you had Mary Quant. 
You had the Beatles of music and the Rolling Stones. It seemed everyone was caught with the imagination of, you know, the, the culture of that particular time of the swinging 60s. Yeah. But then it went further, you know, television, there was breakthrough with uh, soap opera like uh, Coronation Street and uh, you had groundbreaking documentary shows, um, no less than Seven Up, which was uh, aired in uh, April 1964. It was filmed in 63, uh-huh. but it was uh, aired in 1964 in Great Britain. Right. And um, it just showed you the the working class culture as well as the upper class system yeah. in, in, in in Great Britain at the time. Right, and, um, right. It it was caught cool with the imagination of the people. Definitely. Also outside of uh, Britain, obviously, yeah. Um, and uh, I guess so. First of all, do you do you remember? This is maybe a strange question, but do you remember what your teachers told you about the project when you were seven? Like. How were you introduced no, to it? No, it, it, it's, it, it's not like the X Factor where you put your name down and go on and do an audition. <laughs> sure. They just came to our school and they picked out two boys, two girls, and they uh, asked, uh, can they go to a studio afterwards? And can they go to the zoo on Saturday, which was, you know, it was a week that school. We were just, you know, mm-hmm. didn't know what was happening. Yeah. And they were, we were all sort of slung in together and, you know, one big happy melting pot. And it was to see how the characters developed in front of other people who had like uh, more advantages in life than we did. Because I was sort of like a, a snotty nosed kid type from the buildings <laughs> and, uh, you know, rough and ready type. Yeah. And they put us with sort of all the middle class and the higher class people who had, you know, um, education as far as singing Morse and Matilda in Latin at a prep school very early age. Mm. And it just shows you the, the yardstick, how far they have become at a seven-year-old education-wise and how far behind the, the working-class person was. Yeah. And I was just really a representation of the working-class y- y- kid at that particular time. Right, right. And do you do you know why they uh, like whittled it down from? Because at first it was twenty kids, right, and then it actually turned out to be fourteen. Do you know what what happened? Yeah, there? that's correct. I, I don't know why, because um, I had a girlfriend type of thing in that as innocent as it was in them days. I love you, she loved me, kiss chase <laughs> that type of thing, and uh, her name was Michelle. And they kept her in for the first one, but they never kept her in for the second one, despite mm-hmm. filming her. But they never used her. Then as it went on from 21 to 28. You had Charles Ferno, right. one of the three wise men. <laughs> uh, he went into the Channel 4 uh, production team in uh, Channel 4 um, television, where he made documentaries, but he never appeared in them. And Michael Apted really was angry about that, mm. on the understanding that, um, you know, he had an opportunity to, you know, to reflect on his life, in it, but he never did. Yeah. And he, and he opted out of choice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I see. Okay, so you don't quite know. Um, and uh, now to you and your, your career choices. Um, you said that you wanted to be a jockey at a, at a very young age. Um, like, what appealed to you about so much about that the job? And, and are horses still a part of your life now? Like Horses are very, very much a part of my life. It was only Saturday I went to the stables and had a look at all these... Uh, young boys and girls sort of, you know, with their own horses at a very early age of 12, 13, 14. Mm-hmm. And I just reflected at a time when I was seven and I went to Dagenham, which is in Essex. And um, it was like going into the country to a different world. Because where I was brought up, my dad was in and out of prison. My mum was bringing up four children on a shoestring. Wow. And um, 
someone took me for a day out and they took me to Dagenham, which is like a suburb in Essex, and uh, they took me horse riding on a, a pony. And as soon as I got on that pony as a seven-year-old kid, I had an affinity straight away. I, I don't know what it was, animals. I've always loved animals. I've always loved nature and, you know, the outdoor life. And once I got on that horse, the affinity that and the understanding between the telepathy, myself and the horse, it just stayed with me ever since even after today. Mm. And uh, I've been so blessed to have that love for the animal and the horse. And uh, it, was, it was a great experience for me to want to be a jockey and to achieve in my goal as a 17-year-old kid, mm. riding in a race against the greatest jockey of all time, which is Lester Piggott. Yes. And uh, it was just overwhelming. It was overwhelming. And yeah, and that, yeah. Go on. Especially sorry. my mum, my mum and dad was there, and uh, it was the proudest day of my whole life. And uh, whatever happened after they went back and sadly died, I knew I left them a legacy of being proud of me, Aww. and it's remained in my heart ever since. That's and, lovely. Uh, I always reflect on it, and it's something I gave them back as a young seventeen-year-old kid, not knowing what I was giving them back, but how proud they were. Yeah. Coming from beginning. The Up Series was uh, originally supposed to be a, a one-off program, program right? Um, and was there mm. was there any hesitation when they contacted you again to do fourteen Up? Like, did you and you realized? Well, I, I remember be, quite. Yeah. I, yeah, I, well, the story goes was Michael Apted, the director, was in the, the um, Granada Canteen at Granada, approximately in late nineteen sixty nine, and Derek Foreman, who was one of the uh, Ed on shows there suggested him. It's been seven years now, Michael. I quote him that wonder what them kids are doing. Hmm. He said, You ever thought of going back to see how they've materialized and how they've experienced what life's all about? And he thought, Aye, aye. And then the light bulb moment went on. He was given a budget and he went out and he found us all again. But as you can see, when you hit 14, um, even myself with an happy go lucky nature. Everyone was quite monosyllabic. I mean, it was mm. a yes and no answer and a bit shy and, you know, and it was sort of like pulling teeth to try and get an interview out of the characters in the film. Yeah. But at the end of the day, after 21, when he went back, it was formulate the characters and you become sort of young, immature adults. And uh, it began properly. And that's when you started, you know, seeing a story, whether it's a job or whether it's sort of... Um, a partner coming into the, you know, into the yeah. series, or something happening tragically, or whatever, of what life had had to offer at twenty-one. Right. Jobs are starting to take place, like careers are starting to take place, and then from sure. there, you know, it started to materialise as a series. Mm-hmm. And then when 20, 28 came along, everyone had thought I had partners, they would cut the kids, or so, and then you think, oh, I, you know, what's going on here? Then you can see it truly developing because. The, the job I had was a London cabbie, and the other job, the, the gentleman at the top, they had jobs as barristers, solicitors, etc. And, you know, it seemed like the class system won in the end because mm. of the education system. And you can understand that, but, yeah. you know, I was happy going on the knowledge, and I was happy driving a London cab, which I still am. But um, I've also had a chance to go for Bearing Brothers for a blue button job in the city. After being the bookies runner, running around putting bets on and putting all the hundreds of pounds on horses and dogs at the racetracks, mm-hmm. uh, one of the bear 
Ruben Brothers saw me do this and he said it had an affinity with running around like a, you know, trading places, getting markets for stock exchanges, mm. running around taking, and that's, I was summoned to go to the offices, which I did. And he said, we're going to turn you into a blue button where, you know, you go on, on the floor and on the ceiling and buy shares and that. And I said, you know what, sir? I said, I thank you very much, sir, for the opportunity, but I want to be a lambing cabbie. I love people too much. Mm. And I love my independence too much. And uh, you're having a London cab is really tricky for me because I love meeting people, all types of people, black, white, you know, everyone and uh, different cultures. And I've met so many lovely people, film stars, Johnny Depp, Kojak, Telly Savalis, you know, Richard Rantry, The Shark. I've picked many people, Arthur Ashe, the mm. tennis player. I picked them all up, you know, lots and lots of celebrities and uh yeah you know it's been a it's been a, an adventure for me a wonderful wonderful adventure. then after that i got into some acting i started yeah, taking acting lessons which yeah. uh, i read a, and i started materializing in a little career i've done a few extra parts then uh, i was asked to go on a steven spielberg film uh, empire of the sun standing in for christian bow wow. who was only only a seven year old kid at the time on that film but um he's blossomed into a big hollywood Sure. actor now obviously steven spielberg is probably one of the number one directors in the old wide world and i had the pleasure of meeting both on the set and then from there in the last 18 months i've been in, appeared in two films mm. one's called night bus and the other's called uh, 90 minutes which i had two good parts in great right so i'm sorry mm. but ba- back to the original question so you didn't when, when they asked you if you want to join again at 14 up when you were a teenager, there was no doubt that you wanted to keep going, even though it was kind of not like maybe an awkward age and all that, you still felt like you wanted to do it. Like there was no question. No, I've always, always been a proud member. I've always sort of grasped it with two hands, you know, and yeah. I've always, you know, echoed my thoughts of it. That I, I look at that with a lot of passion. Yeah. But as time's moved on now and we had 63 up, Yes. You know, when I'm gone and I've got six grandchildren now, the legacy wow. I will leave on, on celluloid will be, you know, there he is as a kid and they can see their grandfather now yeah. all the way through to their, you know, dying day. Yeah. For me, it's, it's a unique situation to be in because out of 14 of us, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed to have Michael Apti's input on my whole life, the, the legacy left for my children and my, all my family. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And how did your, how did you, speaking of, I guess, how did your family, um, like your parents and your, your brothers, your siblings, uh, react to you yeah. participating in the film series? Did they have certain reactions to no, it? They, they, they were very proud of me being in it. They, they said I conducted myself okay, which you <laughs> obviously you have. But it's like a bit in a guinea pig under the microscope. You've got to, you know, the first one was sort of like, oh, what's it all about? And mm. when it started to materialise as a, a as a series, you know, I could see what it was all about then. And I try to give a true reflection of a Cockney type of guy, mm. East End boy, you know, and at the other end of the scale of the education system, which, you know, we're yeah. not bad people at the end. And, uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I am a very proud member. And I must say, Michael Apted and the whole of the production team, whether it's George Jesse Turner, Claire Lewis, the producer, who have been there more or less for the last thirty odd years, and it's it, it's a great testament to their 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 um staying power. Mm-hmm. And I'm very, mm-hmm. very proud to be part of it. Cool. 
Um, are you are you in touch with any of the other uh, protagonists? Like I saw, yes, I saw. So I, am. I mean, it's, it's funny because um, John Brisby, the very posh, yes. elegant one, he, <laughs> he uh, I picked him up at the airport one day as a fare, waiting on the taxi rank, and he came out. Oh, just like that. <laughs> yeah. Just like that. Yeah. Then often when I go round Kensington near his house, I'll knock on his door sometime. Hmm. And he, and he invites me for tea. So we have tea together and we sort of shoot the breeze and have a chat. And uh, he's a very lovely, very nice guy. And uh, the funniest thing, um, I went to a record fair where, you know, I like me old 60s music. Mm-hmm. And I went to a record fair where into the um, the law department area, you know, in, in uh, Gray's Inn. And as I was there, out came John Brisby in his old regalia he had the wig he had he had the cape mm-hmm. and he had all his entourage with him and it was a sunny day and i was there with a pair of flip-flops and uh, a <laughs> pair of shorts and as he walked past i said john hello mate how are you <laughs> and he come up but he had to be regal because i just had to respect that here he is like a top you know barrister yeah, yeah. and all his entourage is looking at him with complete and utter respect and here I am sort of treating him just as a, a, a sort of mate, like, mm-hmm. you know, normal. Mm-hmm. And he came, and came up and we had a quick five-minute chat. I was in his shorts and flip-flops. He was in his cape and wig, which is a funny thing. Yeah. We had a photo, <laughs> uh, which I've got here, and uh, I could probably send you it later. Sure, and, uh, it I love that. Remar- it, it was a remarkable meeting. A very nice man. Yeah. Then it moves on from there because... Um, went to Australia and uh, Paul and Sue, the Australians. Right, I saw a photo with you and them, yeah. Yeah, Debbie and I, we went there, my wife, and we had a lovely stay there for a week in their house and then we went all around Australia, you know, looking as a vacation. But when their daughter Katie came over to London, she stayed at our house, so there was a family connection there. But then we move on. Because Lynn, who sadly died, I picked her up one day in the financial district just driving along she was there and i picked her up mm. and neil neil the the yes, one you yes. know was on the street he was walking along i picked him up in my taxi and i took <laughs> him home and gave him a sandwich and a cup of tea and we had a 10 minute chat and then i dropped him back to where he lived oh that's great and bruce balding bruce the yes. other guy uh-huh. he, he he was the school teacher he, he taught in my old school, in my old actual classroom, oh, wow. in the maths department, as well as my auntie. My auntie used to do his laundry. <laughs> wow. And that, that was a coincidence there. So the program has followed me around. Yeah. And Michael acted when I was at the West End one day, going into one of the hotels to pick somebody up. As I go to the reception, I looked in the corner and there was Michael acted. <laughs> interviewing an actress and uh, their agent for a film part. Hmm. Then I was in the barbers. It goes on and on. I'm sorry to ramble on. No, I I love to hear it. As I was in the barbers, (laughs) it was like something out of Al Capone. I had the thing around my neck, the cape, looking in a mirror. And I'm in suburbia. And as I walked past, who walked past George Jesse Turner, the cameraman? Hmm. And I got up and I said, George, come here. like, And we're talking about 20 miles out of London. Yeah. And he's from Manchester, nearly 200 miles away. <laughs> it just follows me about this program. Unbelievable. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Um, I also, like, I, I, I noticed that when 
like 14 up and 21 up, I believe you also, APTID also organized sort of like gatherings, social gatherings, but that maybe stopped after you became real adults and it was no, all... No, that, 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 that 21 photo in, is the only photo with the old cast in. There's yeah. no other photo. Wow. There's other photos of some of the cast members, but that 21 photo is the only photo of the old 20, of the old 14 of us. Mm. in one you know particular time that we're all together yeah yeah it was it's unbelievable yeah and so was it also do you think it was because everyone was geographically very far away from each other and it was just everyone had their own lives and it was just difficult more difficult to gather everyone in one spot kind of no i don't think that i think some people embrace the program some people don't true yeah i like the attention i like yeah. the uh intrusion i don't mind mm. and you know I, I embrace all that and not only that you got to respect michael michael acted it's, yeah. it's you know he, 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 he's you know he, he wants you there and you got to really sort of do it you know and you got to be there and the way i see it you got to respect these wishes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah I, I wanted to i wanted to ask about apted actually um how do you feel like your relationship with, with him changed uh, throughout the years, like over time, and I know there's a lot of trust there, obviously, uh, because well, I, that that the, that that is that is the uh, forty nine thousand dollar question. The word <laughs> trust. Yeah. Michael, I trust with my life, and he knows the importance and the uh, weight that he carries with every participant in that film, mm. because it is an intrusion. It is an intrusion of uh, people's personal lives. But people like myself, I do enhance it I, you know i've got no uh, skeletons in cupboards now yeah. you know it's like a, a catholicism with me i just sort of like going through the um the priest and going to a confession <laughs> you know hmm. I, i've got total respect for michael and um as i say when we were kids he was a man yeah and now we're sort of we're on sort of um level playing field you know he's going now into um old age and we're sort of going into a youngish old age, if that makes sense. Right. He, he's sort of 78, and we're yeah. sort of 64, like, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Despite us getting old, <laughs> that they are old, but at the time, he was a man, and we were kids. Sure, sure. And after that, you know, it, 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 all I can say is I'm, I'm just happy that Michael's still here. And, yeah. And uh, I've got so much respect for the man. Yeah, yeah. I also, I've seen him in like recent interviews talking about you as kids. Still, he's he still sees you as like the kids, right? Like it's it doesn't <laughs> totally change in a way. Yeah, but then yeah. again, you know, he, he's got he's got he's got the celluloid, and he can just press the rewind button and him and the Yeti to him, and yeah. he, he, that's how he's going to perceive us to be. Yeah. But you know, I to tell you a funny story. Um, I once picked a Gourney Weaver up, hmm. and. Uh, so as I'm driving her to uh, Claridge's uh, one night after the theatre, she had a scarf around her face, not wanting to be n- noticed. Mm-hmm. So she gets into my cab with uh, uh, another young guy, and he said Claridge's. So as I drove off, I said, hello, Sigourney. It's a pleasure to meet you. She said, how did you know it was me? I said, well, you know, you've got to, you know, it's not very hard. I look up, you know. I knew it was you straight away type of thing. I said, you and I got a lot in common. She said, what's that? I said, well, Michael acted. She said, oh, yeah, he directed <laughs> her in Gorillas in the Mist. Mm, right. I said, well, you know, Michael acted directed me at seven. Well, once I said that, 
it was like the cape came off her head, the coat <laughs> came off, she invited me into Claridge's, we had a bit of time together. She was more overwhelmed in meeting me in the cab than I was meeting her on a big Hollywood star. <laughs> and uh, it was funny, really. Yeah. And it was no less than that when the Buzz Aldrin story that I told on the uh, yes. 56 up. Go on, yeah, I please Buzz tell Aldrin it. Yes. Up. Yeah. Well, Buzz Aldrin up, I picked him up from the Grosvenor House Hotel. And as I come out the forecourt, he was going to Winfield House, where the President Bush at the time was. And uh, was it Obama? One of the two. I think it was Obama. Obama. And um, I was taking him to Win- Winfield House in Regent Park. And as we come out the entrance of the hotel, a cab driver recognised me. And all I could hear was, can I have your autograph? Right? <laughs> and I looked. I looked at Buzz Aldrin. I think, well, he, he must want his autograph. I said, Mr. Aldrin, I said. Could I give you have an autograph for this gentleman? And the cabbie said, No, no, I don't want your his autograph. I want your autograph. <laughs> my my wife loves you. Oh, no. <laughs> and here I am, more famous than Buzz Aldrin, the second man to land on the moon. It was, it was uncanny. That's an absolute true story. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, I know you, you were referring to to the class. Um, focus of, of the series but yeah I wanted to ask I guess more specifically like when did you realize that that was that was centered kind of around a critique as well of, of the class the British class system and and how did that make you feel as well at the time and now well, I thought it was a really not a detriment to me and the uh, people like me I thought you know I've, I've got to stand up here and uh, said to Michael even during the interview in 21 when he sort of like um I sort of bit the apple, really, and said to him, you know, I'm as good as anyone else. May not be in an education-wise, because they're going to get a prep school, they're going to get the um, private tuition, they're going to go to Oxford and Cambridge, and their lives are mapped out at a very early age. In my case, you know, we're sort of only dealt with a few cards in our hand where we can, you know, manufacture a career. And it's very more difficult for us because education is king. Mm. And I understand that. And uh, some people are luckier than others. Mm. But when Michael sort of tried to draw me out, you know, and I realised it was about the education system, I've got no uh, regrets about it, you know, but I'm just saying as people, forget the education. Everyone's got an opportunity. And it's how you play the cards that you're dealt with, you know, to um, achieve whatever goals that you want to achieve in life throughout your uh, luck yeah. might take a hand. I mean, if, if your father's uh, the boss of the company, through nepotism, his son's going to be the boss of the company one day. If not, you know, you, you're a boy from the buildings like me, you've got to go out and try and, you know, do the best uh, career or whatever your capabilities are, maximise them. That's what I did. Yeah, you know, I had a yeah. great street education. You know, I had a great street education. Mm. But, you know, and I, I love the outdoor life. I love animals. I love, you know, horses. I love being a cabbie. I love people. I enhance all that. So that was my education. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's my education, life itself. Right. And it isn't always about academic. You know, people... Um, did Bill Gates go to Harvard or did he go to Princeton or did he go to Yale? You know, it's always someone else somewhere, you know, they don't look at Alan Sugar. We've got one over here, a very 
you know, uh, successful businessman. Mm-hmm. He never went to university. You know, he never went to Oxford or Cambridge. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be done if you want to achieve your goals. Well, it yeah. all depends what goals you want to achieve. Right. You know, it's not always about financial. Because you're successful, that, that it's not always about financial. Some people have got a lovely marriage, stable, happy, loving, caring, contentment, you know, happiness. Mm-hmm. What price is happiness? You could have millions of pounds but be unhappy. Yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah, definitely. I um, just want to be like me. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, and uh, when you look, I don't know if you, do you actually watch um, the series, like, every few years? Or, like, do you kind of just leave it yes, as I it do. is? Yes, I, I do. do watch it mm-hmm. vividly and um, I always break down and cry because I yeah. think of my mum and dad. My mum and dad are in my ear all the time. Mm. How proud they were of me being on it. And mm-hmm. they go on tone, oh, that's great. You know, oh, that's my boy. You know, that type of thing. And, <laughs> that's lovely. And they were very proud. And I, I always see them in my mind's eye. And most of all, I get very emotional about it. And that's why... I look at it sort of once or twice, reflect on it, and move on. Mm-hmm. But then, when when this seven years comes up, and you say, "Course, oh, a long time, seven years," but let me assure you, time flies. It yeah. flies. And to think we've done nine series now. We've done nine episodes of the up series. Yeah. And I could tell you every one of them, from word to word. <laughs> I could tell you the production team. I could tell you the everything about. I, I, you know, because I'm an authority on it, because by definition, I've always maintained that the interest of the program. Mm. And, you know, mm. but um, I've, I've been to schools and I've been to universities and I've uh, stood up in um, classrooms talking about people's goals and opportunities less than others mm-hmm. and trying to encourage them with some inspiration of uh, speeches. And I've always said, you know, no, nothing's stopping you. The only thing stopping you is you. Go on and try to achieve your goal and don't let no one deter you and don't be deterred, you know. Yeah. Let's go into the breach, my friend, you know, and that sort of Henry the Fifth speech, you know. It's a, it's a great sort of inspiration for, for me to go there and try and give them some sort of philosophy of yeah. trying to help their career, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it's great that you do that. Yeah, and I've never ever I've never been a neg- I've never been a negative person. I mean, you know, I remember Obama's uh, inaugural speech, inaugural when he thought, "Yes, you can. Yes, you can." <laughs> like the battery, a negative and a positive. Mm. Well, I would be Mr. Positive. And tell me a bit about the the. I believe it's in New York. There was a play, right? A bit of knowledge that's inspired by your life. Well, and- yeah. Well, what it is, um, I got a friend in um, New York called Jason Grant. He writes plays, and um, he wrote a play about. He saw me at the dog track, and he saw me as a lamb and cabby, and uh, he named the dog Cabby Kate. Hmm. You know that was the dog we owned. You know, apocryphal as it is, and um, we all went uh, to New York, and we had a play reading in Dylan's Land, just on the uh, what's it? What's that famous club there, sixty-three club, is it, or what street? Studio 54. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. Across the road is Studio 54. Mm-hmm. It was a place called Dylan's, and we had it in there. And uh, we'd done this play reading, and uh, it went fantastically well. And um, all people came up to me afterwards, sort of pat me on the back, because they 
knew I was a Londoner from New, like, and I'm in New York, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and they they liked the London accent, and I never picked that up until I was, you know, finishing the play, and when they sort of like, you know, whoop whoop whoop, you know, there wasn't only my delivery of the words and the dialogue, it was the way I was saying it because mm-hmm. I was a typical London cabbie, right. and that's what they really fell in love with. They, the you know the the dancing of the words of the London Cockney you know mm. and that's what they loved mm-hmm. and it was a great great time and, and was, uh, we was, had a great time and it was kind of inspired by some of some elements in of your life or was that yeah it was yeah we well, the dog track you know track. when mm-hmm. I used to run about the bet right. and you know I owned a couple of dogs in them days in the early seventies and uh, I cannot stress enough you know it, it was a great grounding. I never had a proper job, but by the time I was uh, 18, left the stables, I went to the dog track and I was putting bets on as a bookies runner, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And um, if, the, uh, if the percentage of the bookmakers, if I turned over, say, a £1,000 in the afternoon of bets, the bookmaker would give me 10% of the losses. Mm-hmm. So if the, if, the, if the punter or the, the, the guy who bets lost £1,000, I would get 100 quid. But then again, if the panther won, he'd give me 60 or 70 quid. So I was on a no-losing situation because it was, you know, if he, if the panther won, I won the money. He'd give right. me a, a, a percentage. And if the bookmaker won, he'd give me a percentage. So I was, uh, I couldn't lose. And that, that was a groundbreaking experience because I learned all about the odds and the, the racetrack um, uh, dialogue and everything. And, it was, and the tic-tac where you speak with your hands. You know, you give prices and do sort of movements with your hands. Mm-hmm. It was a great experience. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Cool. Um, and I guess in a way, you're an example of someone with a bit of a surprising trajectory. Um, in, I mean, and in consideration of what, I guess, the, the motto, one of the mottos of, of the Up series of give me the child until you're seven and I will give you the man, right? Um, yeah. And does, does that... Um, motto still like does it resonate with you or do you feel like it's are you critical of it in some way like how do you how do you no, feel about I've that i've never i've never been well as i said in my have you seen 63 up yes i have yes right well they show you a clip at the end of me as a seven-year-old and they showed you a clip of me <laughs> yes. running through the running through the forest as a yes, 63 yes. year old and i said to michael in the narration i said if you see me as a seven-year-old kid and you see me now there's no possible way you can't see the man to the child or the child to the man and I said to Michael you got it definitely right with me hmm. and and that's exactly how I perceive it you see because he has got it I am vocal I'm very confident in my way of uh, life being a London cabbie and um, meeting people opens up the doors of you know um, dialogue with everyone and I've never been shy and uh it's a, it's a great grand in being a London cabbie because sometimes you've got to think for the general public and you make decisions for them while you're in a cab. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can understand it. Mm. I know it's a silly thing to say, but it's true. But in, in, as far as myself, as a kid to a seven-year-old to a man, I was definitely the one that you could say he hasn't changed. Right. But I guess, I mean... You know, in, in Twenty One Up, when when Apted showed you around in, in the car, or like showed you some some of those less uh, stellar places in town, and it was a, well, alluding... he, 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 he was alluding to me. Excuse me, I'm just sneezing. One sure. second. 
was he was trying to suggest let's get hold of him in seven years time i know where tony's going to end up he's going to end up in prison you know we'll wait for him and uh he might sound a bit confident now but at the end of the day life's going to catch up with him but it never materialized because i was always a good citizen i've never been a thief i've never been uh, a, a bad person, not right. violent in any way, shape, or form. I've been yeah. a loving, passionate type of guy. Always love and respect me elders, least of all, the most of all, say the elderly, which I've always been up to respect people. Hmm. And when you drive a cab, you you do know how to conduct yourself with yeah. people. Yeah. And I knew once I was on the knowledge, but you must understand the ground in, in my stable life, they clipped. They clipped all the edges off for me when I was 14. It was like regimental, going in the arm. It was yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir. That's how you had to conduct yourself in the stable and be in a stable lad. By the time I was 18, I knew all the rules. You know, very polite. Mm -hmm. Always say please, thank you. You know, don't judge people. Just, you know, be yourself. And You know, it's a question of not liking them. It's a question of liking you. That's how it is. Yeah, that's how I respect people, and that's when I came out when I was 21, and I realised that there's no way that I was gonna ever go and turn to crime because that wasn't in me. Yeah, you know I'm not a violent person, and uh, if I found a purse on the floor, you know, providing I knew it was, I'd give it back. If I didn't, I'd probably give it to charity or do something or return it to the authorities to let them do it. And I've gave cameras back, umbrellas, telephones in my cab. Wallets, I've had it over 43 years. I must have <laughs> given more back than I can ever remember. Yeah. I always lose things in, in cabs. It's a weird thing. <laughs> I don't know what it is It about. is. It yeah. is funny. It yeah. is it's funny what people <laughs> leave in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you were kind of alluding to this before as well, that you are um, quite vocal and, and open to talk about this experience obviously now we're talking yes, as well absolutely yeah and absolutely. while some others are have described it as being kind of painful and uncomfortable um do you why i mean you've kind of explained it before but like why do you think you have such a positive attitude about this and are there things that are still maybe a little not as you know positive about this experience that um yeah well, I, I, i'm a confident type of guy i mean you put me in front of a camera up or even on the phone now i yeah. stop talking i've got no worries i've got no inhibitions <laughs> about uh, yeah. anything you can i've got no skeletons in cupboards that you got to worry about yeah you know and and i don't care i'm only speaking on my behalf. right i don't know how they perceive themselves whether they're less confident or whether they've got embarrassment or anything you know mm-hmm. i don't i can't speak to them mm-hmm all I know, all the, all, the, all the participants on the UP series, I've got the utmost respect for. Mm-hmm. And I would never, ever criticise any of them. Sure. Because I respect their wishes. And most of all, we are, I won't say a team, but um, I wouldn't like it if they made any adverse comments on, about me. Of course. And I would make sure I would never, ever make any adverse comments about them. Yeah. Because I respect them, all of them, absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and would you say that your relationship with, with Michael Apted has changed over, over the years? I mean, as now that you're adults, you're, you know, mature adults, um, uh, I mean, well, I'm sure um, things have changed. I'll, I'll tell you about Michael Apted, right? About, uh, four months ago, he was on the way to LA and he had an award ceremony just before the corona went, hmm. uh, public. 
think about March or early April, and it was a, an, a, an award ceremony. And uh, Claire Lewis, the producer, phoned me up and says to me, because Michael was in midair at the time, going back to L.A., they said, Michael has asked me to ask you, can I collect the award for him? Hmm. I wow. went up and clicked on the stage with Fruit and collected the award for him. <laughs> right? And I broke down on stage because I felt so proud that not only was I asked, but Michael acted his, you know, put his trust and love into me. And my credibility for him went up tenfold. And uh, I just love the man and respect the man, absolutely. For me, Michael Apted is one of the best directors of all time. And I put him up there with Spielberg and mm-hmm. John Schlesinger, uh, David Putnam as a producer. Michael Apted is really not only the Up series, but he's been there in Hollywood since 1969 from the Triple Echo with Glenda Jackson right until his latest film. Hmm. You must understand, he's done about 26, 27 features. Yeah. You know, he's done uh, Stacey Keach. He's done The World Is Not Enough with James Bond. Right. With Piers Brosman. He, he's done um, Young Bang Kipper Bang, Coal Miner's Daughter, Extreme Measures with Gene Ackman and uh, Hugh Grant. So it sounds like and he's, he's, seen, done, um, he's seen them all. <laughs> okay. Yeah, n- yeah, and he's done Narnia. He's done a Narnia there. And mm-hmm. the man is an absolute genius. Mm-hmm. The man is a genius. Yeah. I've got total, total respect for him. The man, the man should be placed up on a pin, pin, pin <laughs> and, um, you know, give all the accolades that he deserves. <laughs> Great. Um, well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I want to ask this last question, um, which kind of relates to also what my, my show is about, about reflection and decision-making and things like that. And... So my question would be, um, how do you think knowing you'll be sitting down to chat about where you were or where you are in life every seven years has affected your life and influenced your decisions as well? Like just knowing that I you're... I respect that. I'll get, I'll get that asked quite a lot, you see. Um, do, is it preconceived? Uh, do you know what you're going to do? Or you know, And the answer is that category, absolutely not, because mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen in seven years. It's not a question, uh, you, you know, am I going to aim to be a millionaire to say, yeah, here I am successful. You live your life the way you live it. And whatever there is in that particular window at that particular time, walks as well, whether it's embarrassing or whether it's anything else. It could be a baby being born. It could be a divorce. It could be a wedding. It could be anything at that particular time on the window. You know, in, 20, in 35, I lost my parents. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that was shown at that particular time. So you showed a lot of emotion. Yeah. As well as a lot of other subjects on that program, losing their loved ones, especially their parents. And everyone goes through the life uh, losses. You know, everyone has a reflection on life that one of their characters in that film rings a bell, and resonates with, oh, that happened to me. Or that never happened to me, but I wish it had happened to me. Oh, my God, you know, that job I should have gone for. Or disappointment. Oh, then you go get married. Oh, that was a, you know, spectacular day. All these things, the up and down what life's got got to offer is an ingredient of the up series. And people identify with it to such an extent that where it's um, 
reflected from 7 to 63 and you can stay in and get 14 hours or 15 hours worth of uh, <laughs> CDs and mm -hmm. watch the old lot in a space of three or four days. That's a bit much. Then you, you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, you get overloaded and say, oh, what, yeah. what is life going to offer for me? Mm -hmm. But then people and, and, and luminaries, they say to them, you know, professors, they study this on sociology yeah. and social study programs and, um, you know, psychiatrists study all this. It's just yeah. to see the, uh, the, the the advancement on people's lives at that particular time yeah. and how it, your, your aspirations and your hopes and dreams evaporated and your hopes and dreams, you know, being successful. It's got it all in there. That's why, it's, you know, it touches a nerve. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But there's never there's never a time in my life that say my sleeves are rolled up and the cameras are coming next week. I'm going to show. I'm not going to show them because that doesn't give a true reflection of what people are. Yeah. My true reflection is what I am now, talking to you. Yeah. I'm at a golf course. I'm playing golf. I'm in the back of my cab talking to you. Yeah. Uh, uh you know, and that's exactly how it ain't mundane. It's exciting for me. Yes. But, you know, I'm going home now, have my dinner with my family, and that's it. No less than everyone else does the same. Sure. So, you know, I'm never going to be any better, and I'm never going to be any worse than anyone else, whether you're a tramp on the street or whether you're a man who's got millions of millions, even Donald Trump or Alan Sugar with their millions. Hmm. They still do the same as what I do, hmm. but on a bigger scale. Yeah. But one thing I've got that a lot of people haven't got, I've got happiness. And I'm very happy. That's great to hear. Um, I guess, yeah, I mean, definitely answering my, my question, but I, um, I guess also what I was wondering was if, like, once the, you know, the cameras go, the cameras leave and you just live your life, do you, yeah. is, it, is it kind of like, you know, you just don't think about it until the next seven years or the next, you know? No, no. I know it's around the corner, say, six months from, so imagine it yeah. was six years and now six and a half years yeah i know they're coming because claire the producer will phone up and say tony uh you know we'll be coming sort of three four months time you know okay i might be in spain or i might be going booked on holiday i might have done new york i might have gone somewhere else mm -hmm. if it isn't there on the location then it stays at home and then i might have a couple of children been born or grandchildren because we had one born when we was, uh, yeah, and Arthur was born uh, on the last one, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And, or was it Rosie? One of the kids were born. You know, it happens on that particular time, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and you might get an illness, you see, like DVD, which I've got, deep vein thrombosis. Mm. And, you know, that if things happen. You know, you might get an ailment. I don't know. I, I'm not around the corner what life's got to offer. Sure. But all I say, I'm living my life with happiness. And I'm grasping at it with two hands rather than one. And um, I'd always be good for an interview for you. Mm -hmm. And I'd always be good to uh, anyone because I endorse the program. I'm happy for you. And most of all, I've got no worries about what I say because I would never, you know, put myself in any way, shape or form suggesting anything adverse about the program. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful program. 
Yeah, well, I'm yeah. glad you like it. Yeah, yeah. It was and I'm glad it's caught the imagination. Yeah. And I wish you success with this interview. And thank, thank you for giving me the opportunity of <laughs> sure, uh, thank you. talking to you. And, thank you. Um, and just, you know, I'm there, as excited as you. Is there um, maybe a way for people to get in touch with you if uh, people listening? Uh, what's the best yes, way? I've got me. I've got me. I've, I've got my own web page. Uh-huh. And if you go www.tonywalkertheupseries.com. Mm-hmm. You will see everything about me, how the Up series uh, developed, uh, how it began, uh, all my childhood, my films, my adverts I've done on the TV, my commercials, and um, stories about uh, Roger Ebert and uh, everything else on there. And you're also on social media as well, right? You're on Twitter and Yes, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook. Great. Thank you. Well, have a great evening and thank you again. I really appreciate You're it. You've been very kind to me. And if uh, you need me in any way, shape, or form, don't ever be afraid to ask any intrusive questions. That's, that's very kind. Because I, 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 I'd always ask. Okay, right. great. Thank you. Bye. Right. Bye. Have a nice day. You Bye. too. Bye. Thanks to Chris Yoe Tokunaga for the music and Julie Saragosa for the sound engineering. You can find The Ben on SoundCloud, Facebook, and Instagram, and you can reach me at thebenpod at gmail.com. Please subscribe and rate The Ben on iTunes because it really helps with the podcast's visibility. Thanks!